Welcome to the Hockey Strength Podcast, the official podcast of SCAF, the Strength Conditioning Association of Professional Hockey. I'm David Rosales, and today my guest is Joe Maloney. Who is Joe? Joe is currently the head strength coach for the U.S. National Team Development Program, or NTDP. After starting his career in the private sector at Mike Boyle Strength Conditioning, he spent time working in AAA and the USHL before starting his current position. In the summers, he works as a performance coach at GNV Performance, where he works with elite professional collegiate and junior hockey players. Joe is someone I've been wanting to have on for a little while, actually. As we talk about in the episode, we have kind of followed each other on social media for a few years. I've seen what he's been up to and have, have been super impressed. And it's been really cool to watch his journey. And in this episode, we talk a lot about that. We talk about basically his story going from his first strength coach job at Mike Ball Strength Conditioning. We talk about what makes that place such a factor for elite strength coaches. It's one of those puzzles that keeps coming up on this podcast. We talk about lessons from his mentors. And I think my favorite part of this episode personally was the story of how Dialing in his warm-up changed the course of his career and how you really make your own luck. And that goes for strength conditioning and that goes for really everything. Yes, we say right place, right, t- right time, but you also put yourself in that position. We talk about his experience working for Team USA at the Men's Worlds uh, in Finland and how he coaches adolescent boys. His group at NTDP, even if they look like men, you know, these are still people with developing brains and that's always a challenge. So this was a, a really fun episode. I think coaches of all levels are going to grab something from this, and I hope you enjoy. So without further ado, here is Joe Maloney. Joe, welcome to the Hockey Strength Podcast. Thanks for thanks for being here. Thanks for hopping on. What's going on, man? It's it's cool to be here. I've been listening to this for a long time. Never thought I'd actually be on it, so uh, it's it's good to be here. Yeah, I think this is actually overdue. I think like our we've probably been following each other on Instagram since like 2019 or 2020. Definitely yeah. a long time, and and it's been it's been cool, even just through social media in this world we have now. It's like, oh, Joe's at this place now. It's like, oh, Joe's at this place. And now, now I see like three years later, you're at NTDP, training yeah. like some some future NHL stars. Yeah, it's it's cool, man. It's the that's the nice part about social media, right? Like you meet you meet people through that, and then eventually get to connect someday. So yeah, this is this is pretty cool. So now you're the the head strength coach at um NTDP, but I want to go way back and and get and get a lot more of your biography. What was your what was your first job in SNC? So I was pretty lucky. I, I started out uh, with an internship at Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning in Boston. Um, one of my professors in college was like one of the first intern groups there. And she kind of called in a favor and uh, kind of got me into the internship program. And I did my internship in the summer and uh, started that that September in 2018. So um, I was pretty lucky to start at such a high level facility. Did you, okay, so did you know that what MBSC was or for you, was it kind of like, are you from Massachusetts? Yeah, yeah, I grew up, uh, I grew up in Falmouth, Mass, so uh, I definitely, okay. I'd heard of Mike before, but like, I don't know, but I, I remember one conversation with my professor, it was like, oh, you're into hockey, like, Mike's the hockey guy, you should go there, and uh, and the rest is kind of history. So when you went there, did you know that this was like, probably the premier or one of one of like a handful of like premier strength conditioning facilities in the nation and that you were just kind of like walking into it I had some idea but like I don't think I really really fully realized it till after I was kind of in there like it's it's people call it like the mecca of strength and conditioning and it, it kind of is man like it's such a good place to to get your roots in the ground and there's so many good coaches there and I think I mean when I was there um 
that summer, I think we had something like 30 interns and like, you know, 20 or so coaches and hundreds and hundreds of athletes. So it was once I was in there, I was like, Oh God, this is, this is the real deal. Wow. Yeah. I mean, obviously Mike Boyle, everyone will know him. If you don't know him, we, I had him on the podcast probably like a year ish ago. So you guys should definitely familiarize yourself with Mike, but let's talk about MBSC a bit because there is like this allure of, of Mike Boyle string conditioning, not only because of the athletes that come out of there, but also as, as a factory for really good strength conditioning coaches. And even in particular, like really good NHL coaches, like Kevin Neal, Devin McConnell, Mike Potenza, um, it, the list goes on and on. So from your vantage point, you're walking in, you get this internship, your first two to three weeks in Woburn, what, what stands out to you or what stood out to you about how that place was run that makes it such an effective learning environment for coaches? Yeah, I think it's just it's just a, a combination of like Mike having spent so much time in the industry and then how much care they put into like educating their their interns and their staff. Like part of the deal is that like you can't work there unless you go through the internship process. So it's almost like, you know, a paid tryout or or to kind of figure out I don't know, like if you got the stuff to work there, but it, I, I think it's a combination of that and like just how well thought out everything is there. Like it truly is a factory. And like that summer when I was there, like there's groups every 15 minutes, like every hour until like eight o'clock. And I think another thing is you get exposed to, you know, you're training 10 year olds, you're training, you know, elite athletes, professional hockey players. And then you're also training like 86 year old adults who are just there to, you know, kind of check the box and get their exercise in. And I think that is such a, a valuable skill to have in your toolbox to be able to train anyone. Right. And I think um, without that, it's a lot harder to kind of add layers to your repertoire uh, without that kind of base of like generalization. Yeah. I had a, a very similar experience where my first job was with middle schoolers and also like 40, 56 year olds, like after work type of class. Is there, is there something as you look back on that, was there a lesson you learned or, or something someone told you or a key coaching thing that, that stands out from your time in Mike Boyle that was like, oh, that was like, that was the, the moment I feel like I kind of got it as a strength coach. Yeah, I, I can think back to like a few moments. I think one, one that stands out to me um, is like, there was like these adult groups that were, you know, at five in the morning, five thirty in the morning. And, you know, there was adult clients who'd been training there for longer than I'd even been alive and learning how to like capture their attention and like build the the repertoire with those clients is something that, you know, I relate to now, like working with pro guys, it's like, you have to build that trust before you can even coach them. So that's something I, I think back to all the time is like, you're standing in front of a group of people who, you know, probably, you know, don't really want to hear what you have to say, but like, how do you build those relationships? So what you say lands. Um, and I think one other thing um, I, when I was an intern, I, I, Ken Whittier, who's at BU now worked for the Bruins for a while was uh, my internship director. And before he left to work for the Bruins, we kind of like, I grabbed him before he left on his last day. And I was like, Hey man, like, you know, like, what do you think? Like, what, what do I need to work on? And told me like, you need to learn to take criticism because I was probably a little overconfident and like, you know, full of myself. And like, I think at the time I thought like at 21 or 22 years old, I could have been an NHL strength coach tomorrow. And he was like, dude, you got to learn how to take criticism. Like you got to learn how to take it objectively, not get offended by it and kind of, you know, 
learned to be able to to handle that in order to move forward in this and like that he probably doesn't remember that conversation but it like sticks out very 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 well in my mind like i remember that for sure oh that's that's really important to hear as like i'm sure a lot of 18 19 20 21 year old guys who think they're hot shit coming into whatever they're doing could hear exactly did you have a moment where you were kind of like screw this guy <laughs> or were you nah. were you were you just in like humble like oh like 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 having your slice of humble pie i think in that moment i was like yeah you're probably right man like i, I think back there's definitely a few like i was just like super full of myself and like I don't know. I, I think it was good. It, like brought me down to earth. I was like, yeah, I'm going to get hired here. I'm going to work here. I'm like, you know, then I'm going to be at the Bruins hot, in three I'm, years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I'm hot shit. Like I, I'm expecting a call from any NHL team tomorrow. And then like, I was like, Oh, it's one of those like Dunning Kruger effect moments where you're like, you, yep. you realize that like you don't know everything. And like, you're kind of just like at the bottom of the totem pole. And then like, I feel like at each level I move up, I kind of have one of those moments where it's like, Oh, I actually know nothing. And that's, I think, what kind of like pushes you forward as a coach. How did you so you take that feedback and you're like, okay, I definitely need to implement this. But I think that can be easier said than done. It's like, okay, someone told me I need to take feedback better. Now overnight, I'm magically better. I feel like an analogy would be like, we told an athlete that they need to like improve their hip flexion. Like they're not going to be like, okay, it's fixed. Like I got it. What did you, like, as the days and weeks and maybe months and even years go by, how do you think about um, learning how to incorporate feedback as a skill? Yeah, I think it took a while, man. Like, I think even through my other my other years at NBSC, like, there were still times where, like, coaches would be, you know, giving me feedback. And I, my, my knee-jerk reaction is to, like, be abrasive and be like, well, what do you know, man? But then, like, I think what what it took for me is is to like seek out more feedback, right? Like get more exposure to it. I think that was one thing during my internship experience. It was kind of like, if you're not getting any feedback, you're doing a good job because there were so many people there and so many clients and so many sessions that it's like, you know, Mike Boyle is not going to take time out of his day to be like, hey, good job, buddy. You're doing great. But um, like asking people like, hey, man, like, what'd you think of that? Like, do you see me run that warm up? What'd you think? Like, hey, I've been practicing my ladder drills. Like, do my demos look good? And, you know, getting feedback that way. And then when the unexpected feedback comes, I'm a little bit more apt to be like, oh, yeah, you're probably right. And like, fi find the truth in it, right? Instead of just automatically going to defense mode and like, take it super personally. Yeah, I think, so like seeking out feedback, like making that a practice. There's this really cool, I'm going to blank on who it is, but there's this really cool section in, in Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss where someone is talking about how they, they do this thing called a red team where they'll have, their group of, of people on whatever project sit in a room and then like, okay, guys, how can you like think of every angle to break this idea down? Like how could this, what's every angle that this could be wrong. And then everyone kind of practices like thinking of ways that would make this idea wrong to kind of like one bulletproof their ideas. And then you come out with like an invincible idea. But then also I think they, people who think that way, just like as a habit or always like looking for ways to get better, like subconsciously, because they're always like, they're always seeking feedback and improvements and don't and aren't attached to their, like whether they're right. Yeah. It's just like learning to separate out. Like, I don't know, just not, not take things personally, like anything personally, right? Like if you're getting feedback from someone, it's like obviously coming from a place where they see something that you can improve on or, 
you know, and you may not believe it in the moment, but I think if you can sit down and be like objective about it and be like, all right, maybe you're right. I think that's super important. For sure. I think this is a nice segue into another question I wanted to ask you. And you've mentioned, you've mentioned a few people already. So maybe it's one of them, but who's, who's a mentor who helped you a lot earlier in your career and how did you meet them? Yeah, I think obviously I got to give, give Mike his flowers. Like he's, he's been awesome to me and like, we still stay in touch and, you know, I'm pretty lucky to have that. I know if I ever have a question or, or, you know, whatever, I can always call him and chat. Um, I have to give a shout out to my boss, Brian Galvin. Now Um, he, he, you know, I've learned so much from him about like how the hockey world works and like building culture within an organization. And obviously he gave me this opportunity to come into the national program and, um, super grateful to him. And then I think, uh, one of my coworkers, uh, he's the head strength coach at Michigan state, uh, Will Morlock. Um, I've learned more from him in the past year than I have, you know, maybe in the past five years, like just about programming and, you know, load management and, and everything. And, and I kind of took over his role here. And he, when he left, went to Michigan state and, you know, every week he'd take the time out of his day and, sit down with me and just like go over programming and, you know, go over some ideas that he had and like what he's doing at state. And he, you know, helped me be successful in my first year here. And I don't know if I could have done it if I didn't have his guidance. Um, but yeah. Okay. Let's start with, uh, let's start with Mike Boyle and then we'll move on from him for the rest of the episode. Sure. What's a, what's a key lesson you learned from Mike? Yeah, I think, I think, learning to look at everything in strength and conditioning from a critical lens, right? Like Mike, Mike might get a lot of flack from this, but like he's super reserved with his philosophy and like for something to crack into his program, like it's gotta be really well proven and make sense and work with the flow and the logistics of the gym and like all that stuff. And there's so much consideration that goes into all that. Um, and I think it's really easy to get, you know, caught up with razzle dazzle exercises that you see on Instagram or, or whatever. And, just learning to be objective with everything and kind of view it through a lens of like cautious skepticism before you kind of include it into whatever you're doing, whether it's, you know, designing a gym or, you know, trying to decide if you should put a certain exercise in your program. I think that's something that's kind of been a, a key lesson that I've kept with me through, through my whole career. Yeah. I feel like that comes into play a lot in team settings too, when you're like, Oh, I saw this on Instagram. I didn't think about whether this would actually make sense in a team setting. Right. And I feel like a guy like Mike Boyle, who runs a, a big facility, like we, we call it the factory, like you you do, you have no choice but to think of a lot of those logistics. Like you probably don't have 10 trap bars. I mean, you got, they might right. now, but, yeah. but like most people don't have those, those ways to even like logistically have it work. Yeah. Yeah. I think especially in a team setting, like logistics drives a lot of what you do. Like if it doesn't make sense and you can't do it with 23 guys at once, like it doesn't matter how awesome it is. Like it's not making it into the program. So um, I think that's, you know, at times we may have like 40, we might have both teams here in the gym at once. It's like, are you able to run your lift if that happens? Like if not, then you have to scrap it and start, start over again and, and find a way to get what you want done uh, with the logistics that work. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to Brian Galvin. I don't know Brian. I don't. I don't know the same. So I'd first love to hear. This will also be a kind of a good segment. Of what you're doing now? Um, how did you? How did you meet Brian? And then how did he link you for this role that you have right now with NTDP? Yeah, I was. I was working for. Um, I worked for a AAA team in Chicago called Windy City Storm, and uh, they're owned by Tri City Storm, the USHL. So 
they were out here for um, a national tournament. And uh, I kind of drove out here just to like, I don't know, run the warmups and help the boys out with whatever they wanted. And I, I kind of like walked into the building here and like stumbled down to the gym and I was like, Whoa, this is sick. And I was like, Hey, do you mind if like I wore my team up in here? Uh, and he was like, yeah, for sure, dude. Um, so I ran warmups there and then I left and I didn't really hear, you know, we exchanged contact info. I didn't really hear from him. And then there was one day last summer where I got a random phone call. I was like cooking dinner and, uh, it was Brian and I answered it and he was like, Hey, you want a job here? And I was like, yeah, for sure. Um, and, and the rest is kind of history, but yeah, like it was just kind of a chance meeting and I, I lucked out and, um, yeah, but he, he's awesome, man. He's really old school guy. Like he's, he's done it all. And, uh, he knows a lot about the ways of the hockey world and, and how to build culture and how to develop athletes. So it's pretty cool work for him. Okay. Wow. There's, there's just so, there's just so much to back up here. So yeah. first of all, you got, you saw this sweet gym and you're like, yeah. I'm warming up my team here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was, so like very uncommon in the AAA world. Like I would occasionally travel with the teams. Um, also, just, I got to interrupt you for that. Also just like in above and beyond, just I absurd thing. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it was, it was insane, but like, I don't know. It was good practice. Um, cause I do it now, but, um, yeah, I would like hop, I would hop in my car with a, a hockey bag through full foam roll, foam rollers and bands and like drive out to wherever the teams are playing and like run the warm ups and cool downs and stuff like that, just like any junior team. But, um, it's kind of absurd to do it at the AAA level, but yeah. So that's how I ended up in the USA gym. Do you think that that is, one of that just that like drive to kind of go above and beyond has been a key part of your success to do that sort of thing for sure man like I, I think you have to like separate yourself like I think for me like it's something that nobody was doing at that level and like yeah I may have looked like an idiot running a warm-up for a bunch of 15 year olds in the lobby of a rink but like it made a difference for the kids and like you know it felt like it helped them and I don't know. I, I'm willing to do whatever for my athletes. So if it helps them perform, then like I'll hop in the car and drive three hours to Detroit for, uh, for the national tournament. Yeah. That's, that's an awesome story. That's a yeah. really cool story. And okay. The next question embedded in the story is, so Brian sees you warm up for this yeah. kids, presumably, and then you get a call a year later. Yeah. What do you think he saw in you and was in, in, that you impressed upon him in that like brief encounter. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. Like, I think I can run a pretty good warm up. Um, has, <laughs> <laughs> big think, mobility think, guy, big mobility. Yeah, guy. like, yeah, I think. Um, I don't know. He came up to me after. He was like, "That was pretty dialed, dude." I was like, <laughs> "Thanks, man." Um, but yeah, I don't know. I was just like super organized. Like, got everyone in lines. Like, we foam rolled. We did. You know, I think he saw working here now, like he saw a lot of similar stuff that we do in our warmups here at GVN. So like that might have, and I was like really loud and uh, that sometimes helps if you're loud and obnoxious to get some attention. But um, yeah. I, I think it's that. And then also the fact that I was a triple A strength coach, you know, going above and beyond for my players that maybe kind of made him think of me when he, when it came time to find a new coach here. Wow. And then was that just it? He, you exchanged contact and then he was like, I know a kid who's in the area who would be great for this. Cause he ran a great warm up. Are there any other yeah. gaps we're missing in the story? No, man, that was literally it. Like, uh, wow. I, 
I think I maybe texted him after. I was like, thanks, man. Like, really appreciate you letting us use the gym. And then I, I didn't really hear from him. I really think much of it. And I think uh, my my predecessor, Will, uh, kind of took the job at MSU sort of last minute. And I don't know. I just happened to. They needed right someone. Play, right, right place, right time, man. Like, that's how it always works in this industry is, like, it's not about what you know. It's about who you know. And I lucked out. I hit the lottery. So, um, it's, yeah, I'm pretty lucky. It's always right place right time and then there are always little tidbits in this story where you're like well it wasn't really lucky at all because you absolutely put yourself in the perfect position to yeah. be the guy that brian thought of yeah yeah it's a little bit a little calm a, a little calm b right like it wouldn't happen if i didn't if i wasn't there and you know didn't run a dial dynamic warm-up um i, I don't know but yeah it's you know Sometimes doors open when you least expect it. And uh, I was I was lucky enough to find the right door. Wow. Oh, that's incredible. That's one of my favorite stories I think I've ever heard on the podcast, honestly. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Let's uh Will, Will Morlock, Michigan State. You said you 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 guys are kind of more colleagues. I mean, I guess he had that job and then moved on to Michigan State. So what's something that you mentioned some programming stuff potentially? Um, yeah, what's what's been a key lesson you've learned from him? Yeah, well, when I first came here, like I had never used the load management system. I'd never used the force plate. Uh, I had very limited experience with velocity-based training. All I had at my gym was like a couple jump mats and some Brower timers. So um, coming into an environment where that is like a staple in the programming and um, individualization of athletes programming and all kinds of decision-making coming from that stuff, like I had to learn really quick, right? So I remember I got the job and I was like, I need to buy some books on velocity-based training and look up Hawkins and all this stuff. And, um, you know, I remember I had a, a, a long call with him when I first got the job and he kind of walked me through everything that we kind of do with Hawkins. And um, I think from there it kind of progressed to, you know, at first I was like, Hey man, like, how do I do this? And then it kind of progressed to like, Hey man, what do you think about this? And then now it's kind of like we, we work together in the summer. So I'd like to think we're kind of, uh, colleagues and, and, you know, we kind of share ideas back and forth and workshop things around. But um, I would say the the key thing I learned from him is he has some of the most like well thought out and organized and justified programming I've ever seen. And it's purely to develop like an elite hockey player from every sense of, in every sense of the word, right. From like the, the movement, the warm ups to, you know, exactly what exercise we're using to kind of like, a lot of crazy like frontal plane work, but everything in his program has like a, a super, super well thought out justification. Right. And it's not like there's no filler, like everything in there is for a specific reason. Cause there's, you know, a paper on this that said this, or like you talk to, you know, some NHL strength coach and they do this for, you know, oblique sling work. And like, you know, we're progressing this to this because, you know, skating intensity is ramping up. So we need to do more of this. And like, every little detail is so well thought out. And like before I came here, uh, I'd played around with like a little bit of individualized programming uh, in the, in the previous summer, but you know, not kind of on the level that, that Will had done. And I think um, I, I've learned so much just about that and, and how to program for a hockey player um, where in the past I was a little bit more general. And now I, I can, you know, only working in hockey players, you have the luxury of zeroing in on, you know, what's going to make the best possible hockey player. So I think having his help in that process has been, has been really nice. 
we could zone in on the specifics. I do always like to get a, a couple, a couple like training tidbits. Are there maybe it's just like a warm up drill or or a different rep scheme or a, a a different movement you hadn't done before? Are there any things that come to mind that you have tested or incorporated into your programming based on your conversations with them? Yeah, I think um, a lot of it is you know, how to profile athletes and, uh, based on like contraction type strength needs, um, you know, impulse ratio, like all this information you get from the force plate and then how to project that out into what exercises they need to do to improve those things. And then really focusing on like the low hanging fruit for that particular athlete. Right. So, um, you know, categorizing guys, for example, like if you have someone who is strong and slow, they probably need to work more on speed, right? Pretty obvious stuff. If you have someone who's fast and weak, they need to get a little bit stronger. Uh, if you have guys that are good at both, just don't break them. And then if you have guys that are slow and weak, get them stronger because that's going to be the quickest way uh, to kind of increase the whole system. So uh, that's a, that's really an oversimplification oversimpl- of, of, of it, but um I think that's the biggest thing is like learning how to categorize athletes and then prescribe exactly what they need to help them improve uh, as quickly as possible. Yeah. I think uh, for people who hear that and are like, that's intriguing and you're not super familiar with the idea. I do believe Tim Labazier has an article on the site uh, pretty much about this topic, about how to put your guys into certain buckets based on things like force plate data. Or if you don't have that type of uh, that type of technology, you could even do it with just like how strong are they and how high can they jump and kind of like do it that way. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you can you can really get in the weeds with it and you know look at. I mean, the force plate has so much, so many different metrics that you can look at, but um, really simply like finding a, an absolute measure of strength and then like an absolute measure of speed and comparing the two and seeing where guys fall is is a really good way to get started with that. Yeah. And I think coming back to, to Boyle and I definitely saw this with, with Devin McConnell too, is now you can, you can make this work in a team setting because you just have four kind of groups. So you're getting individualization, but you can still make it flow nicely in a weight room. For sure. And it has to be that way, right? Like as much as you want to have, 22 different programs going on at once the the fact of the matter is there's going to be a lot of guys that fall into the same buckets right like for your u17 year like most of you just need to get stronger and get bigger like pretty simple there right there's there's a lot of guys that fall into that bucket so it makes it relatively simple when you program is like we we just call like our force group like you need more force there's going to be a lot of guys in the force group but once you get to you know say u18 year you have a year of ncdp training under your belt uh, you maybe did a summer here as well. That's when you can really start to like hone in on, you know, speed or power or, you know, the velocity end of the spectrum and uh, train that. So uh, yeah, it's been, it's been really eye opening to me because before, um, you know, my programs are just pretty generalized, right? I like, I, I think that's one thing that I, I changed the most since being here is um, before I would have, you know, it was in my mind that like, all right, I had trained hockey players. They all pretty much need the same thing. Right. Uh, which is true to some extent, but the higher you go up the ladder and the more elite athletes you work with, if you're training someone uh, who needs to get stronger, the same way you train someone that's going to need to get faster, right. You might be doing a disservice to the guy who needs more speed work. So um, 
there reaches a point, right, where you might be strong enough. And if you just keep filling that bucket, you're you're spinning your tires. You're not really getting anything. So, um, yeah, that, that's that's been a big thing for me to learn this year. Awesome, that's great. Let's uh, let's jump to another chapter of a, another really cool experience. I'm excited to hear about. You were at the men's world tournament in Finland. So yeah, first question: How the hell did you end up at the men's world tournament in Finland? Uh, another another door opened. Um, no, I, I think that's the luxury of working. Uh, for NCDP and USA hockey in general, right. It's like those opportunities arise and um, GVN, the company I work for being in the position that we're in to, to kind of staff some of these tournaments, like we'll send a coach to world juniors. Um, but this was the first year we, we sent a coach to men's worlds. Um, part of the reason I got to go is because it's a month long trip and I don't have a, a family to leave. You were available. For, for, <laughs> yeah. I was, I was very available. Um, but yeah, it's, it just, kind of right place right time and uh it was it was awesome man it was kind of my first dose of like you know I the weeks leading up to that we started having some pro guys come back into the gym at the end of their season but obviously I never really had much experience working in the professional team setting so um it was a really cool dose of like what I wanted to do in my career so um and that and being in Finland for a month is also really awesome so you end up, you're in Finland, you've got, who are some of the names? You, let's name drop a little bit. Who who are some of the guys on this team, just to give people some context? Um, we had like Alex Tuck, um, Connor Garland, uh, a bunch of like AHL guys. And well, we had, we had a lot of uh, young guys like Cutter Gauthier, um, you know, uh, I'm kind of blanking on a few right now, but um, there's definitely some big names in there. And I think, it was a little intimidating at first. Like I was, I was lucky cause I'd say about half the roster is young guys. And then half the roster is like older guys. And I had known some of the younger guys cause they're uh, NTDP alums. And um, I think that kind of helped me settle in a little bit, but it was really intimidating at first. I'm not going to lie. Like it was like, Oh God, this is a group of grown men. And I'm yeah. this 28 year old <laughs> kid. And I have to tell them it's time to go warm up. And like, I remember we had like our first meeting or whatever. And like coach David Quinn was like, Joe, uh, why don't oh you talk God. about what you're going to be doing? While you're here? <laughs> and I was like, I was like, uh, Hey, uh, I'm Joe. Uh, I'm like, I was, yeah. I was just like really caught off guard. And I was like, but I had to kind of learn fast, to like get over the initial shock of like what I was doing and just kind of like handle it, you know? Once you were, once you were there doing your thing, which is run, run warmups, run master dialed warmups, warm dial in the warmup. Did you, how are you feeling? Do you, did you feel like you settled in? Did you still have this like kind of starstruck feeling a little bit in the back the whole time? What was that experience like as the tournament, as your month in Finland went along? Yeah, I think once I kind of got to know the guys a little bit, the, the I guess, shocker. I guess anxiety about what I was doing kind of subsided. And um, yeah, I think that was, that was the biggest thing was like learning how important it is to build relationships with those guys. Right. Like you're there for one month. You're not gonna like every guy there has their own process. Right. And something they've developed with their own strength coach, or they've been playing in the league for 10 years. And I, I realized like very quickly, it's like, it doesn't really matter that much what I want to do. It matters you know, getting them what they need to perform, right? So if they want to do something in the warm up, 
great. I'm here to help. What do you need? You need bands? I'll set bands up in the gym for you. Like, whatever. But um, I, I think that was the biggest thing is just like trying to be as helpful as possible, right? Like I kind of, you know, I would help with anything, like whether it was like sorting the laundry in the morning or like making sure the fridge was stocked. Like I, I just kind of tried to be a role player. And I think um, once guys kind of saw that, like they warmed up to me a little bit and then it made it easier to to kind of do everything else. Yeah, and a month is so short. It's not like you had a whole season with these guys. Yeah. And they're also playing games, right? They right. had presumably a pretty busy schedule. So at that point, it's kind of just almost like playoff hockey mode, right? Yes, like that was it. Like um, there were – like I was lucky there was a lot of guys that actually wanted to train. Like that's kind of one of the things with the men's world tournament is it's right at the end of the season, right? So you're either missing a month of your – summer training if you're not training at all um when you're also adding on like 10 or so games to your season right so um i had a, a good solid group of like eight or nine younger guys that trained with me throughout the whole time and um that was really cool to kind of work with them and like figure out what they felt like they needed and you know give them a little dose of what i think they needed um but yeah it was it was a, a really cool experience for sure that's that's incredible. Where in Finland yeah. was it exactly? I'm just curious. Uh, Tampere, and we we did uh we did like four day training camp in uh, Munich, Germany, which was also really oh cool. wow we, really cool. We situation. played um we played the German national team at the Red Bull Munich rink, and it was maybe one of the craziest sporting events I've ever been to. Like, there's packed house, like there's drums and like it was almost like a european soccer game like there's flares and like everyone's singing songs and stuff and like it's a hockey game it's it was it was one of the coolest things i've ever seen that's so cool that's so cool let's uh let's shift back to ntdp i think um we talked how we kind of connected on instagram just like following each other for a few years uh my memories of your content are always like i'm always like this guy has his basics locked in like you're you're talking about like hydration you're talking about mobility like I, I for some reason this reel of you being like stop cranking on your hips instead like learn how to like activate your <laughs> yeah and i'm like this guy is exactly what like 17 18 year old guys need because that's when their hips are like they're they're getting or already locked in these patterns and i know that age group can be can be challenging to work with it might be different because these guys are like the elite elite i'm sure there's like some of these guys are just mature well beyond their years but how do you think about helping your players at that age build some of these really important long-term habits whether that's mobility whether that's hydration whether that's sleep yeah i think um I think like it's all part of the the process of of development, right? It's like uh, we we call it almost like learning how to be a pro, right? Like these are the things that you're gonna have to do. Like you ask every single kid who comes into this building, whether it's top forty camp or or whatever, whether they make the team, like what they want to do with their life, and they say, "I want to be an NHL player." Well, great. Here's what you need to do. We're gonna teach you everything you need to know, and it's kind of up to you to do it, right? Like we don't necessarily babysit them; we just give them all the tools they have, and like we make sure they realize how lucky they are to have this stuff, right? Like it's truly, truly insane how well set up these kids are for success. And if you don't utilize everything you have available to you here, you're insane, right? Like you have every possible tool to be the most elite hockey player you can be. Um, We kind of put the onus on them a little bit to just 
Like we have a big sign in our gym that says take, respo- take responsibility for your own development. And that's kind of something that we, we hammer home where it's like, we'll give you whatever you need, but you just have to make sure you, you make the most of it. I love that. That's yeah. awesome. What do you do specifically? Um, let's do, let's, let's talk about hydration. Cause I know you did some okay. hydration contact. What, what yeah. is your like education when you're like, okay, guys, here's everything you guys need to know with regards to hydration and how it's going to help you become the best hockey player you can be. Yeah, it's it starts at the beginning of the year. Like we have a, a big presentation on like nutrition and uh, hydration and all that stuff. And like we just make sure like real simple stuff, like understand like the nature of your sport. You sweat a ton, right? And you may lose a significant portion of your body weight while you, you know, practice, right? And you're skating twice a day and lifting for an hour doing warm ups and all this stuff. And if you want to make the most of your training, you need to make sure you're hydrated. And then, and you know, we provide them with whatever electrolytes and we kind of help them understand like what happens to your body when you're dehydrated, how your power decreases, you know, you may start cramping up all this stuff. Um, but it, I, I guess with anything, it's like we, we teach them. It's kind of like, here's what's going to happen if you don't do this and it's not going to help you. So here's the tools you need to kind of make sure it doesn't, whether it's nutrition or whatever. It's like a lot of kids come in here and they want to gain weight. And it's like, it's real simple, man. If you're gaining weight, you're eating enough calories. If you're not gaining weight, you're not eating enough calories. So here's the foods, you know, that might help you get a little more, uh, you know, here's some sources of carbs that are going to help you bump that number up. Like here's an example of a shake that might, uh, you know, help you add in an extra 500, 700 calories a day. And then, um, you know, like I said, just kind of giving them the tools they need to, to get where they want to go, but putting it on them to make sure that they do it. Yeah. I love that philosophy. I think like that can be applied on pretty much any level and like encouraging kids, especially like not to be, I'm old, I, dude, we're kind of old now. I'm about to say kids these days, but I yeah. saw, dude, I saw at the rink the other day, this kid had to have been 12 with his, with his mom carrying his bag. Like. I don't know. Anecdotal does not it's even bad evidence. look. This is an N of one, but it, you know what? I'm, I'm sour and old. And I was like, man, kids these days. Yeah. Um, I, I do think there is something to be said for, uh, for instilling those kinds of values. And a lot of these kids probably have been very spoon fed. Like there's some of the best hockey players in the world. They've probably had it set. Some of them at least have had it like incredible setups and that's partially how they've been able to get to such high level. So I love that, like encouraging them to take responsibility and, I also love learn how to be a pro. That's also. Yeah, for sure, man. I think like you're exactly right. Like these kids have always been the best player on the team that they're on their entire life. Right. Like they probably hadn't had to deal with much adversity in their life to get where they're at. That's not like a blanket statement. There's plenty of kids that come through here who are, that isn't the case, but um, I think kind of giving them like that little dose of reality is like, Hey, we're not going to hold your hand anymore. Right. Like it's on you, man. Like if, if you want to succeed, like I said, like, well, whatever you need, but I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to hold your hand through the process. Like you need to take development or take your own, take responsibility for your own development and, and kind of make sure that you get what you need done. And that's what the NHL is like. So yeah, it's good. For sure. All right. I've got a couple of rapid fire questions. Your answers can right. be long though. We'll see it. We've okay. kind of touched on one. Uh, what's something you've changed your mind on or alternatively, what's something you wish you knew earlier? Yeah, I think I'd have to go back to like the individualization of programming. Um, 
I think it's, it's such a game changer for us. It's almost like a cheat code where, um, you know, very simply, like if you're trying to make someone's jump go up, if you focus on the easiest possible thing to train to get their jump to go up, it goes up way faster. And if you're kind of hammering uh, the other end of the spectrum. So I think if I realized that earlier in my career, um, I don't necessarily know. If, it, it's a lot harder if you don't have, um, like I have all the tech you could possibly imagine in the world. Like I'm super spoiled, but uh, I think if I kind of changed that, my perspective on that a bit earlier would have helped benefit my athletes a little bit more. Yeah. As we've already talked about, I don't, I don't think you need tech to split your kids into two to four groups. I think that's for totally sure manageable at pretty much any, any level. Okay. Yeah. Next one. What's a, what's a resource, an idea could be a book, podcast, course theme that's been top of mind for you lately. There's a couple of things. Um, we just got a 1080 motion quantum, uh, crazy piece of equipment that I basically been spending the whole summer trying to figure out how to use it. Uh, I think we kind of honed in on some stuff that we know it does really well, but I feel like I barely scratched the surface on that. So a lot of my time has been kind of spent trying to figure out that thing and just kind of playing around on it. Um, the other thing that, uh, one of the most recent courses I've taken was, uh, Les Spellman's acceleration course. Um, a lot of it's on like force velocity, profiling, sprinting, um, and then resisted sprinting. And that's something we've kind of incorporated into our programming this summer as, uh, kind of a thing on our, our Thursday lifts where everyone kind of starts out there with resisted sprinting. And, uh, I think as an exercise, it's a way to, I think sprinting is way more indicative of what happens on the ice compared to, uh, I guess, force plate data. Like the force plate is really good at prescribing things that happen in the weight room. But I think sprinting is way more closely related to what happens on the ice. And um, by adding resistance to that sprint, you're, you know, increasing stride frequency and ground contact time, which uh, again, is, is kind of what you experience on the ice, you know, in that early kind of acceleration phase. So I think it's kind of been a game changer for us. I did a little like case study in the spring, kind of non-scientific case study uh, with NTDP using uh, Spellman's like load velocity profiling. And uh, so off ice resisted sprints and then uh, each day immediately after they do the resisted sprints going on the ice and timing sprints. Um, over the course of four weeks, like really simple linear periodization model, just adding one rep per week. We had guys drop like crazy numbers in their times. Like I think the team average was like 0.25 seconds off their uh, goal line to blue line sprint. So that's something that has been really intriguing to me. Um, and obviously that's a N equals one. Like there's a lot of factors that go into skating speed and all that stuff. But I think it's something I'm really looking forward to exploring over the season. What are you, are you using sleds for the resistance? Yeah. So, um, basically, uh, based off of like a velocity decrement. So, um, to profile guys, you do like, uh, a rep with, uh, no weight, a rep with 25% of your body weight, 50% and then 75%. And then through that, there's like this sweet little calculator that comes with the course that'll cal calculate it out an optimal load. Um, the athlete and um yeah so it gets them in the correct speed zone to train you know kind of the same thing you would on the force plate that that low-hanging fruit where some guys might need more force in the spectrum some guys may need, may need more velocity in the spectrum but um 
it's really interesting stuff. Yeah, that, that's fascinating. Always, always fun to hear what guys are, what, what coaches are playing with and messing around with. Okay, uh, related question, but different. Same question, except it has to be not SNC related. So what's an idea, book, course, podcast, anything? Um, no warm-ups, see. no warm-ups. Uh, um, uh, what's the last book I read? Uh, I read a book on called Breathe about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Um, yep. Something I got into the past year, um, kind of as – I moved out here. I didn't really know anyone. My boss was like, oh, you should try this jujitsu gym. So I went <laughs> and like became totally obsessed with it. And uh, for a while, it was all I thought about besides S&C and um, something I've, I've really got into. I think there's a lot of valuable lessons in there that the book itself, as well as uh, the sport of jujitsu itself, that really kind of coincide with the the lifestyle of uh, strength and conditioning. I think it's, I don't know, like, there's something weird about waking up at 5 a.m. to go wrestle with sweaty dudes. But I think like the fact of it's something that's like super hard to do and like super um, like out of my comfort zone is like such a good thing for me to do. Right. Because you just kind of get into this system of like, all right, I have my life. This is what I'm doing. And like, I'm happy with the way everything's going. And then if you, if you stop pushing yourself to do those uncomfortable things, that's when you stop growing. So uh, I think it's been super, super good for me. Do you know who uh, Marcelo Garcia is? I'm quite familiar. He's a master yeah. legend. He uh, he has some crazy stories. Um, I'm a huge fan of Josh Waitzkin, who co-owns his school in New York City. Okay. And the stories that, that he's told on different podcasts and it, in it also in his, his book, he talks about his Tai Chi. Uh, journey not his jujitsu journey but he's also like a black belt jujitsu and how yeah like marcelo garcia would like be sleeping like minutes before a match and then just like wake up and turn it on and and crazy stuff so uh, i don't know if he has any books but he's just i think like a fascinating competitor um and obviously kind of kind of goaded in bjj there's a lot of personalities and i guess mixed martial arts and jujitsu in particular that like I've kind of like it was it, like the early days of like the UFC and like the jujitsu guys coming into the UFC and like fighting these giant roided up like martial artists like it's insane like some some of the stories in the in this book were uh breathe were like insane like these like no holds barred no time limit like street fights and like the only way you win is if you tap out or like become unconscious like yeah it's it's pretty crazy but um wow yeah nice that was that was a great answer i love that you pulled you pulled that one together Um, i did yeah (laughs) joe this has been this has been super fun it's been uh great to finally connect are there any uh parting words any last things any any hidden stories that you haven't shared yet that you'd you'd like to leave the audience with no I, i think i pretty much covered it all um this was this was really awesome and uh thanks for having me man i appreciate it yeah and do you want to where can people find you i know you've been like semi-active these days on ig um, yeah i've I've gotten away from posting that much um i don't know i just kind of but my instagram priorities. is uh, po- yeah priorities that you don't really have time uh in the summer here to kind of focus on your content but um my instagram's uh at post maloney if people want to follow me on there and uh 
my email is uh, maloney.joe at gmail.com. If you have any questions you want to ask me, uh, you can, you can hit me up on there. Awesome. Well, thanks, Joe. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. See ya. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. As always, you can find links to everything discussed, show notes, all of that stuff at the official website of SCAF, ProHockeyStrength.com. There you can also find articles, webinars, and all sorts of other educational content for strength coaches in hockey. Thanks for listening.